Isaiah 45, 22 through 25. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Let us pray. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word given through the prophet Isaiah many years ago, I ask you for help that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, would enlighten our hearts, Lord, that you would grant us mercy to understand, to really hear the word of the gospel declared here. And Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would love this word, we would treasure this word, that this word would be our life. And then, Lord, that you would empower us to carry this word to the nations, to our neighbors, to those who need to hear. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, this morning I did the very same thing that I have done every single Easter morning for my entire life. I got up early to come to church to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus together with my church family. I think in every church I've ever been a part of, there has always been delicious pastries for brunch, new Easter dresses being worn, and some of the greatest hymns ever written, sung. So I'm grateful that we are able to enjoy this Easter Sunday together here this morning as a church family. And, um, you know, as, as I was getting into my adolescent years, one of the things I really enjoyed watching were the, the tough guy movies, uh, like the ones uh, Clint Eastwood and uh, Sylvester Stallone starred in. Actually, my father enjoyed them too. That's why I have the name Clint. Uh, these, were, these were always, you know, shows where the good guys didn't take no guff from anybody. And if they were overpowered early in the show, they always came back with a vengeance later and made sure that the bad guys got what was coming to them. Like in the Clint Eastwood movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales, I just loved it when he stared down at that bounty hunter trying to capture him and said, Dying ain't much of a living, boy. <laughs> but Christ's resurrection does not follow that same storyline. When I was younger, I kind of wished it did. I kind of wished that after Jesus rose up from the grave and, and, and uh, you know, appeared before his disciples and celebrated with them, then they would have all, you know, walked proudly 
and slowly down the main street of Jerusalem, right into where the Sanhedrin had gathered and with all their eyes focused on Jesus, the man that they had just crucified, with their mouths dropped open, Jesus would have said something like, see, it was just like I told you. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And then using his divine power would have like lifted up all of those rulers who condemned him, and then like, you know, forced them to smash head first into each other, and they'd all kind of drop lifeless on the ground, or, or something along those lines. If the Gospels were, were just a movie written and filmed in the late 1980s, that's probably what it would have been like, because that's kind of what we expected. And in some sense, it's still kind of what we expect. I mean, we would expect that if someone was treated the way Jesus was treated, and that he had the capability that he would seek to exact his revenge upon the ones who treated him with such disdain. But that's not at all what we see happen in the Gospels, in the New Testament. Instead, we see something that really should be completely unexpected, even shocking for us. We see Jesus, after he's risen, teach and then call his followers to go and carry his message of forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his name to the nations. That is, they were to offer salvation to all those who had been worshiping other gods. And they were to start this missionary venture in the same city and amongst the same people who had called for his crucifixion, who had wanted him dead. And we read that Peter and the, and the, and the disciples do that very thing in Acts chapter 2. They were not gloating that the man that the rulers had crucified had risen from the dead. They were instead announcing that he had risen and that because he had, he now offers them repentance and they can find forgiveness for all their sins, including the sin of crucifying the Son of God in his name. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable reality about the gospel. God sent his Son into the world to rescue and redeem those who rejected him, those who rebelled against him. He accomplished that through his death and resurrection from the dead, and then he ascended to be seated at the right hand of God. And now God has empowered the church with his spirit and has entrusted the church with the message of the gospel and has commissioned the church to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Of course, all the world worships other gods. Every culture worships something other than, than Christ, yet they are not scorned by God. They are invited by God. They are not refused if they come to him. They are welcomed. The invitation goes out not only to the natural sons and daughters of Abraham, but to the ends of the earth. And in Isaiah 45, we see that that amazing and surprising reality was actually God's plan all along. Not just to save one nation, but representatives of all nations. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our main theme here from these verses in Isaiah 45 is that through the church, God graciously calls out to all people to be saved through repentance and faith in Christ alone. Last week, we, we, we began uh, looking at this passage uh, in verse 15 of chapter 45. And so now these four verses are the conclusion of uh, what God has been saying here to his people uh, through the prophet Isaiah. So our first uh, uh, section here, we're looking at just one verse, verse 22. And the heading I put over this is that the way of salvation is the same for everyone. Repent and trust Christ with all your heart. Now, one of the comments I read on this verse, verse 22, uh, this past week said that it is maybe the best single verse summary of the entire book of Isaiah, emphasizing God's gracious salvation, its global scope, and the grounding of his comprehensive salvation in the utter supremacy of God. And I think that is a very helpful statement. So listen again here to Isaiah 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So first we have God's gracious salvation emphasized for, for, for there is this call from God to all turn to me and be saved. It is a, it is a gracious call because of what is required for the hearers to receive this salvation. It isn't obey the law and be saved. It isn't make sure to clean up your life first and then you can be saved. It isn't turn to me and you will be saved after you pay penance for all of your sins in purgatory. No, no, the, the, the salvation that the Lord is offering here is all of grace. Just turn to me and be saved. The salvation also has, has a global scope for it says this call was going out to all the ends of the earth. This is not just a call to the nation of Israel. This is not even just a call to Israel and those that came to follow the way of the Jews, this is a call to all peoples throughout the world, to the Gentiles, who of course at that time of this prophecy were surely all idol worshipers. In the preceding verses here in Isaiah 45, that, that, that's what we learn about the people uh, that this call was going out to. They were those who were putting their hope in idols, in gods of their own making, which of course cannot save but they are not spurned by God here. They are, they are told the truth about their situation. The hope that they have in, in any other God besides the God of Israel are all false hopes. They will not provide any help to them whatsoever. There is only one God, and he is the only Savior. And out of his grace and love for the world, he calls out to all the ends of the earth, Turn to me and be saved. So, of course, we learn something more about what it would mean for the nations to turn. 
If they are to be saved, they would need to turn away from their idols. You can't put your hope in two different saviors. You, you, you can't turn to God without turning away from your idols. For as the last line of the verse makes clear, for I am God and there is no other. The God who is calling out to the nations here is the God who has all supremacy. There is no other. If we, are to still, if, we, if, we, if we are still hanging on to things other than God to give us hope, uh, to give us joy, or to really you know, give us meaning in our lives, then we are not hanging on to God. We have not turned to him. This turning is what we call repentance. It is the forsaking of our sin, turning away from our idolatrous pursuits to find ultimate joy and happiness in you know, the created things and turning then to the Lord, turning away from those things and entrusting ourselves fully to him, believing that he is who he says he is and trusting what he says, which of course, if we're trusting what he says, means that we will obey what he says. In the context of this passage, the Lord reveals his supremacy by showing the nations that in the end, he will either be the savior or the judge of everyone. As the next verse reveals here, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance, which the Apostle Paul picks up and quotes in both Romans 14 and also Philippians 2 as referring to the Lord Jesus. That's how we know we can interpret that the one speaking here and offering salvation to the world is Christ. It is Christ we are to turn to. It is Christ we are to, to repent and, and, and begin to follow. But, but this means that the whole world in their sin and idolatry is under judgment, that they will be condemned and suffer God's wrath unless they repent and turn to the Lord in order to be saved by him. It's, it's, it's like the world is in a destructive flood that, that, and that you have been washed away in this flood. But for the moment, you are just keeping your head above water by clinging to a piece of, 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 of lumber floating on the water. But the water, of course, keeps rising and it keeps moving you farther and farther downstream towards destruction and, and you are getting more and more weary. You don't know if you could continue to hold on to that floating timber. And then a rescue boat comes to your rescue. And it's within reach and the rescuers are calling to you to let go. Let go of the floating timber so that you can be pulled into the boat. You, you, you know this is a way for you to be saved, but, but you will need to trust the word of your rescuer. You will need to do what he says. And you must turn away from what you've been previously depending upon to keep you above water. The Lord is calling here. Turn, turn, turn to me and be saved. This is the way of salvation and it is the same for everyone. Turn to Christ. He is the risen king. He is the only one who is able to give you eternal life. Turn to him. Trust in him. 
with all your heart, and you will be saved. Secondly, in the next two verses, we see that all people will either be saved or put to shame before Christ. Verse 23, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed, all who are incensed against him. Now we see the other side of the, of the equation in these verses. Now, not everyone will respond to the merciful call of the Lord to turn and be saved. For many, the cost will be too high for them to pay. The cost of turning away from what they were putting their hope in, whatever that is, their religion, their idols, their way of living apart from the Lord. Quite frankly, for many, they would rather enjoy their sin, even if it would cost them their life, than turn away from it and become one of God's people. Billy Joel, who was a gifted songwriter back in his prime, captured the reason why so many will not turn to be saved in his song, Only the Good Die Young. If you are my age or, or, or older, you may remember it. If you don't, you can look it up later. But the line goes like this. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Many who are in the world are convinced Billy Joel is right. He's right. Maybe that is the case for some of you here as well. You like to have it both ways. You, you, you say you are a Christian. You, you, you come to church on occasions. But in your heart, well, you believe that the sinners are much more fun. So you don't take your Christianity too seriously. Your life resembles someone who is more worldly than a person who follows the Lord. For others in the world, and for many in our culture, it's not just that they aren't too religious, it's that they can't stand Christ. Because they can't stand the ethics of the Bible. They, they reject the way of life that God's word promotes. They can't stand the Bible's teaching on marriage or sexual ethics or on original sin. That we are all sinners. Or the ex exclusivity of Christ for salvation. They get angry over such beliefs. And, and God's word is showing us here that it is not a surprise to the Lord. I mean, listen to the exclusiveness of God's way of salvation in these two verses as the response of many in the world. Again, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall, shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. No, no matter how much we love and serve others, no matter how many times someone hears the gospel shared, no matter what, there will always be 
those in the world who will be incensed or enraged against the Lord. This is to remind us, brothers and sisters, that when we experience people becoming upset with us for being people who believe the Bible, it's not really us who have made them so upset. It It is God and what he has said in his word. And the Gospels report this for us, how enraged people got with the Lord. And and, and somewhat surprisingly, it was the chief priests and the religious leaders of the Jews who who we find in the Gospels becoming so incensed at the Lord. This this, this past week, I was reading through Matthew's account of the trial of Jesus, and I was just struck by Matthew's description of Caiaphas, the chief priest, their leader. And his reaction to what Jesus said to him in the trial. This is in Matthew 26, and I'll begin reading in verse 62. The high priest stood up and said again to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Who are the ones punching him in the face after blindfolding him, spitting on him, and, and then telling him, Prophesy, who's the one who's, who, just, who just struck you? Who are, the, who are they? They are the religious leaders of the people, the Sanhedrin, enraged, incensed, at the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the ones whom I wanted Jesus to confront and really show them who's the boss after the resurrection. But the reality is some of them actually repented after they heard the gospel preached by the apostles after the resurrection. But not all of them did. And it will be the same for people in our churches, in our neighborhoods, and throughout the world. Everyone will either be saved by Jesus or judged and condemned by him in the end. Those who hated him and refused to repent, they will be put to shame when they are forced to bow before him and acknowledge his supremacy over them. For every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you are one that has refused to repent, and you have not turned to Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is a warning for what's to come. But it's not too late for you. His word to you now is a, is a gracious word, as we explained earlier. Turn to me. And be saved. 
turn away from your way of life. Just let go. It'll lead you to destruction anyway. Let go now. Turn to Christ and be saved. And finally, in the last verse of our section, verse 25, sinners can only find lasting glory and full justification in Christ. At a first glance here, as we, as we read this verse, it seems to be saying something remarkable about the people of Israel, that they will all be justified, that every single blood descendant of Jacob will be saved. But we can only come to that conclusion if we completely ignore the previous verses in this chapter. For we have already heard the call of the Lord that only those who turn to him shall be saved. And we've established through the Apostle Paul's interpretation of verse 23 that this was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the offer is clear to the Jews as well as to all the ends of the earth. Again, reading verse 25, in the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Only in the Lord Jesus will anyone be justified, will anyone be saved. So turn to the Lord Jesus and put your faith in him, no matter who you are. And what this reference to Israel is, is really an invitation to all the world to be included within the people of God. This is a clear sign that the salvation that Christ will win on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead will be a salvation that will include both Jews and Gentiles. This points back to the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham in Genesis 12, that, that in you, that is in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There aren't two separate gospels. They're, they're not two separate people of God in the Bible. There isn't one way for Israel to be saved and another way for Gentiles to be saved. If anyone is to be justified before God, if anyone is to be saved, if anyone's to find lasting, eternal glory, it will only come through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I was blessed. I was blessed to have grown up having parents who knew and feared the Lord and who brought me to church every Sunday. Whenever the doors were open for service, I was there. I, I grew up knowing exactly what we were celebrating on Easter morning. I don't think I ever doubted that Jesus is God, that he died as a sacrifice for our sins and rose again from the dead, that he had then sent out his followers, the church, to call the world to repentance and faith in him for their salvation. I don't think I ever doubted that those things were true. But I do know that for far too many years as I grew up, I just didn't care. I had the same mindset as the Billy Joel song. I really thought I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. But for me, the burden of my sin really began to weigh on me. The knowledge that I was not necessarily on the wrong side of my culture, but I was definitely on the wrong side of, of, of God's judgment, really began to weigh on my heart. And then one night in the summer of 1992, I heard the call again from one 
of Christ's people telling me, turn. Turn to me and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. And that night I did. I turned away from who I was and I became a new person. So friend, I invite you to do that as well this Easter. Call out to the Lord with all your heart. Call out to him. Admit that you have not been putting your full trust in him for salvation or for your life. That you have not been looking to, or that you have been looking to other things to give your life meaning. Repent of that. Turn away from that. Come to him. Come to him with your whole heart. Trust Christ with your life. And then share your commitment with another believer that you know. One that, 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 that can encourage you. The one that can help you to grow in your faith. And I'd like to close out our time this morning with an old hymn by Isaac Watts. <clears throat> I've quoted from a worldly song a few times, so I thought, well, I better share a much better song with you before you leave. Isaac Watts helps us to ponder this incredible gospel call that's here in Isaiah 45. And then to, to, to remind those of us who believe just how privileged we are, and it reveals clearly the need for us as a church to continue to carry this message to our neighbors, to our community to the ends of the earth. The hymn uh, begins like this. How sweet and awful is the place. The word awful means full of awe. Full of awe and wonder. How sweet and full of awe is the place. With Christ within the doors. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores, while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? "'Twas the same love that spread the feast "'that sweetly drew us in. "'Else we had still refused to taste "'and perished in our sin. "'Pity the nations, O our God, "'constrain the earth to come. "'Send thy victorious word abroad "'and bring the strangers home. "'We long to see thy churches full, "'that all the chosen race May with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. I pray that you would be able to sing of his redeeming grace this morning. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we have meditated on your word here, your call of salvation to the ends of the earth, which was, Lord, established through the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. There is life in him.
if we would just turn. Let go of the things we are holding on to, the things that we believe are helping us but are really leading us to destruction. Father, give us divine wisdom to see that in Christ is the only way of salvation. And that there is more joy, more glory in him for those who believe than there is to be found anywhere in this world. We ask, Lord, for your help in this way. In the name of Jesus, amen.